I want to share a little bit before Brad reads the scripture reading. Um, oh, not oh, just a minute. You can stay there if you want. It's not going to be very long. It's okay. So last week we saw Peter engaged in an awkward conversation with the risen Christ, a conversation out on the beach during which Peter experienced forgiveness and was commissioned by Christ to feed and tend his flock. This week we see Peter empowered by the Holy Spirit doing just that. In the ninth chapter of Acts, he is traveling here and there among all the believers, strengthening the communities of faith that sprang up after Pentecost. When Peter arrives in Lydda, located about 22 miles northwest of Jerusalem, he discovers that one of the new Christians there, a man named Aeneas, has been paralyzed for eight years. Trusting in the power of the Spirit and feeling compassion for this man, Peter tells Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Aeneas does so. And his unexpected healing leads others in Lydda to turn to the Lord. Peter, however, is not uh, able to rest on his laurels for 11 miles away in the city of Joppa. Another drama is unfolding. Let's listen. Now you're up, Brad. Um, let's see, from Acts chapter 9. Now in Joppa there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was, devoted, she was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went to them, and he, when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing Dorcas has made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body, and he said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling to the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. Uh, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brad. The very first line of this passage now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas, should catch our attention for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's unusual that we are told that this woman has two names, one in Aramaic and one in Greek, both of which mean gazelle. Scholars speculate that these double names indicate that this woman has the ability to function in both Jewish and Greco-Roman societies. What is more unusual, however, is that this woman is described as a disciple. Though the author of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, it's a double, it's a two-parter, tells us about the women who followed and supported Jesus in Luke 8, this is the only time that the feminine form of the word disciple is used in the entire New Testament. Clearly, Tabitha slash Dorcas was a respected and admired follower of Christ. Further evidence of her discipleship appears in the description that follows her names. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. 
To serve Christ by helping others appears to have been the joyful focus of this woman's life. And as we will see, her quiet ways have had a huge impact on those in her community. Tabitha falls ill and dies. And when she does, the members of her congregation tenderly wash her body and lay it in an upstairs room. Then they do something unexpected. They send for Peter. Instead of burying her body, they wait for him to come. Why? Why would they do that? Did they wish to honor Tabitha by asking the great apostle to officiate at her funeral? Or perhaps had they heard of the healing of Aeneas and called Peter hoping against hope that he could do something, anything to help them? So it seems, for their request to Peter is urgent and Peter responds in kind. When he arrives and is guided upstairs, it is a room that is, and it is to a room in which the grief is palpable. Women are clustered around the body, weeping in despair, and well they might, for these are widows who have been the beneficiaries of Tabitha's compassionate kindness. Women who in that time and culture might otherwise have been sorely ne neglected. Though they display her handiwork to Peter, her skill at making clothing, these women have lost much more than a talented seamstress. Tabitha was a beloved friend, a pillar in the community, and her death is keenly felt. Have you known a Tabitha? Someone whose kindness and compassion have not only helped others, but have endeared him or her to you? I know that many of you have because of the many times I've been told about Louise Snow and John Mitchell and Reverend David Tinoco. Though I've never had the joy of knowing them, I have had the wonder and joy of knowing many others, including Reverend John Svensson, whose memorial service last Sunday overflowed with all those who had come to give thanks for his life and ministry. I think we've all known Tabitha's. Quiet disciples who lost lives a big, leaves a big hole in the community and in our lives. Peter listens to all the stories. The widows told him about the compassion and kindness of the woman whose lifeless body lay before him, the kind of stories we tell when our loved ones pass away. And then he sent everyone out of the room, and he knelt down and prayed. I almost overlooked that brief phrase when I first read this passage in preparation for Sunday. He knelt down and prayed. What did he pray for? Did he give thanks for Tabitha's life and ask for comfort for those who grieved their loss? Did he pray for the power to give this woman back her life, that he might glorify Christ in this way, or did he simply pray for the Spirit's guidance? What did he say in those moments of prayer? We'll never know, but when Peter finished praying in the stillness of that room, Luke tells us that he turned to the body, again emphasizing that this woman was dead, and said, Tabitha, get up. Catherine Matthew writes, we wonder what went through Peter's mind, what was in his heart, what memory and what hope gave him the audacious confidence that he could say two words and then count on God right then and there to do something so astonishing. Perhaps Peter was remembering Jesus' power and compassion, 
the power that enabled him to raise to life the daughter of a man named Jairus, and the compassion that led him to restore a dead son to his widowed mother. Perhaps Peter was reliving that walk with Christ and his call to tend the flock. Perhaps he was thanking God for the gift of the Spirit, a gift that had already given him more power than he ever imagined, the power to heal and the power to preach, the power of the God who raised Jesus to life and was still present, still at work in, to bring healing and hope and life to the world. Tabitha, get up. It is the same command that Peter had spoken to Aeneas and that Jesus had spoken to Jairus' young daughter. Arise, stand up, get up. And Tabitha does. She opens her eyes, sees Peter, sits up, and Peter helps her to stand and guides her downstairs where he shows her to be alive to her family and friends and the member of her congregation. I love the way that Reverend Beth Sibinsky describes this tender scene. Peter showed them Tabitha, not the work of her hands, but the work of God's hands, the work of the Spirit to resurrect, to give life, to recreate, to lift up. Peter showed them God's handiwork. This story reminds us that Easter did not end with the resurrection of Jesus. The power that raised Christ from the dead continued in the lives of his apostles as they received the Holy Spirit and began to witness to others of their faith. Like Jesus, they preached the good news of the kingdom of God. Like Jesus, they offered healing to those who were suffering. Like Jesus, they welcomed those on the margins of society into community of love. And like Jesus, in times of loss and grief, they brought the hope of new life. That hope is still ours, and that power is still available to us. While we may not ever experience the physical raising of someone who has died to life, we can and do experience God's resurrection power in our lives. Sometimes that power displays itself dramatically in the unexpected healing of an illness or the equally amazing healing of a broken relationship. Sometimes it shows itself in a person whose life makes a significant difference in the world, someone like Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa. But more often than not, that power operates behind the scenes, inspiring ordinary people, quiet disciples like Tabitha and like you and like me to engage in good works and acts of charity, demonstrating the way of Christ, the way of life by surrounding others with love, showing them mercy and offering them forgiveness. That same power also moves in communities of faith like the one to which Tabitha belong, communities that celebrate with each other in times of joy and stand together in times of struggle, communities that welcome others with open minds and hearts, communities that are willing to be vulnerable and loving to one another even in uncertain and difficult times. Our loving and gracious God continues to enter a world of grief and suffering and death, bringing abundant life here and now and the promise of life eternal. This is the hope in which we live. This is the hope in which we serve. 
This is the hope that we have to share. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen. Amen.